when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age we are doomed, who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person, which is in him? So, so also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of who, who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given, given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is the word of God. Never quite know who's going to be here on uh, Labor Day weekend. And um, I prepped a, uh, a message to culminate our series on hard questions. This isn't really one of the, the normal Sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. All right. Passage is 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It's the whole chapter. And but I'll focus on um, I'll focus on just certain verses. It's a big, big chapter. Now, what we're trying to do to, in today's message, it's actually a really big message to complete a um, well, there's a lot of uh, difficult stuff that we touched on in this series, and uh, I hope you've enjoyed this series. Um, I've enjoyed this series, and um, I enjoyed n not giving every sermon. <laughs> it had just been too hard to tackle all the material um, for all these really hard questions, and so um, I'm so thankful to um, you know the other pastors who stepped up to, um, to, to do some of that research to answer some of these really difficult questions. And... What I wanted to do, I, I, I kind of wrestled, never quite sure what to do on this Labor Day weekend, because I'm not sure who's going to be here, who's not going to be here, but I thought what would be really good is to try to answer a question which I think is relevant to the whole series. This question that we're posing for the title of this sermon, how do I know, how do you know when you're encountering the true God? In a lot of ways, that's the underlying question to every hard question that we've had in this series of hard questions, um, if you think about it. It's always about, you know, whether you're talking about the homosexuality issue or like the, um, I, I was especially thinking about this, this uh, particular sermon when I was listening to Joe's sermon where he was saying, um, he tackled the question, why does God seem angry in the Old Testament but more loving in the New Testament? Again, um, it is about how do you get to know who is really God? Or when Frank was preaching on the question, why is certain books that are, you know, that were ancient, such as so, the so-called Gospel of Thomas, not included in the in the Bible's canon, especially in, you know, right there in the New Testament? Why don't why do we have a Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, not Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the Thomas Book of Thomas? Because well, that's not really part of, you know, you can go back and listen to his message, but. So much of, of these questions really come back to the, this, the answer that I think if you get what I'm trying to say today, it will really help you. And the, the way you can get to know the real God, and if I were to give you a kind of shorthand answer, and that is through word and spirit. Through word and spirit. That's the answer. It is the answer from the Bible. It is you know, the proven answer again and again and again. 
And um, so really what I'm preaching to you today is knowing the real God through his word and his spirit. And churches regularly fall down here. They regularly fall down. They, and I'm going to talk about this, and I'm going to make certain critiques of how churches fall down and screw up here, and you know they are trying to proclaim the true God, but often end up giving you a twisted view of God, or maybe just, quite frankly, a false God, and then we call him Jesus. How, how do you like that? There are churches that will say, we believe in Jesus, but the Jesus that they know and the Jesus that they seem to know and, and, and proclaim, that's not the real Jesus. <laughs> that's, a, that's a serious problem, isn't it? And so the, the short answer is, when you're looking for a church and you're looking for the real God, that church must be deeply ground and built upon his word and his spirit. His word and his spirit. And so let's get into that in today's message. Um, three parts, as you know, you say, as I always do. Part one, knowing a person through his spirit. Knowing a person through his spirit. There's an odd verse in here that says a natural person can't know God essentially because he's not spiritually discerned. And that's just seen, and then it's, and there's this other weird portion in this chapter. It talks about there's a secret and hidden wisdom of God that we impart to you through the Spirit. And you're like, that seems unfair. It's secret and it's hidden. Um, there's nothing weird about it, and I'll explain that to you. Um, it's actually completely reasonable. I'll explain that to you. Verse, um, that's part one, knowing a person through his Spirit. Part two, word and Spirit, Christ and the Holy Spirit, okay? That's part two. You must know his word and his spirit. The operative word here is and. And we know Christ through the Holy Spirit, so we must have Christ and the Holy Spirit. That's part two. What I'm going to do in that part two is I'm going to critique different churches and different traditions and different approaches where they break this, all right? And then I'm going to close my message by, I'm talking about union with Christ through the Holy Spirit. That's real salvation. Real salvation, truly knowing the real God, union with Christ through the Holy Spirit. So let's go part one. Um, knowing a person through his spirit. Um, there's a, let's, let me take you to verse 11. So if you have the Bible you're there, I know we don't you usually have our, our, our usual AV guy who's great at, you know, like casting the verses up there, um, but I just kind of assumed he'd be there, but that, that was probably not a good assumption today, all right? Verse 11, it says, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Hmm. So most people go, okay, if, if you grew up in the church, you're, it sounds like spirit of God, person, it's, it sounds like a lot of like blah, blah, religious language, and it's right because it's the Bible, right? But let's just step back for a moment. That first, that first verse, for, first part of the verse, for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? Now, it, it talks here that, that in this chapter, there is basically two profoundly important emphasis. It opens up. It's actually, you know, the, it's, it's kind of a culmination of what it's saying in chapter 1, which is the, there's a foolishness of God through the crucified Christ. That's how, that's how you get to know God. And then at the beginning of this chapter, Paul says this remarkable thing, that when I came to you, I came with, um, with not, I came not proclaiming to you the testament of God with lofty speech or wisdom. And then he says this incredible thing. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's what I want to know among you. Any preacher worth his salt, that's, that's his aim. <laughs> um, I hope you guys think that I have some smarts. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm, I, think, I don't think it's a boast to say that I'm a smarter than the average person. But that's not why I come up here. When I come up here... I'm not interested in coming up here with my lofty thoughts, you know, speech or wisdom. Really, 
I think about this verse every Sunday. <laughs> every Sunday when I'm preaching, I think of, I, I decide to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the aim of the church. You are here to know Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the gospel. <laughs> That's how we'll know God. But then he goes on to say, well, you know, I didn't use all this lofty wisdom. Really, what I did was I imparted to you, uh, but I didn't use all my smarts or my wisdom or how clever I am. But what I did was we had a demonstration of the Spirit and of God's power through the Spirit. That's what a real church trusts. They aim not to get up there because let's put the smartest guy up here, and if he's so smart, then, you know, then he'll convince everybody, right? No. You know how, how people are convinced of the truth of God? It has nothing to do with how smart you are and nothing to do with how smart I am. It has everything to do with when you hear about Jesus Christ and him crucified, the Holy Spirit will come with demonstration of God's power, and the Holy Spirit will help you go, Jesus, that person, Jesus, he, there's something, maybe at the very beginning you're not entirely convinced, but maybe you walked and you're going like, this Jesus stuff, whatever, but after you hear the gospel, it starts going, man, that wasn't dumb. Maybe there's something to this after all. And now some this wall of resistance has been broken through, and then maybe you're starting on a process where you will say, I bow down to Jesus and him crucified. You know, only the Spirit can take you there. And in a church, when the gospel is faithfully proclaimed to take you to Jesus, that's the word. That's the word that we need. The Holy Spirit makes that word have power and life, such power and life that we can't resist it, <laughs> that it's, it's powerfully convincing to us. So it's not like some trick. Your mind is convinced of it. Your heart is convicted. Your soul opens up and say, Jesus, come in. The Holy Spirit does that work. <laughs> and in the, you know, it, there's this, this remarkable thing. Now, let me, let me try to give you, this is, this is a sim, simple, as simple way as I can put it. We're all longing for God. If at the, if the, God, the fullness of God is the Holy Trinity. There's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Really, we're all longing for the Father. The ultimate full authority of God rests on the Father. And you know, God sent the Son and the Spirit into the world so that the Son and the Spirit would together bring us to him. That is the teaching of the Bible. So, you know, in, in, in an interesting way, when I'm saying that you need word and spirit, in other words, you need the Bible, the proper proclamation of the word, but you're not going to get the real understanding of the word apart from the Holy Spirit. But let me even take it down, even right into the very doctrine of God. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In a sense, I don't know if this is, this is almost, I don't know if this is right to even say, but, but in, the, in the core of the godness of God is the Father. The Father sends the Son and the Spirit. They're no less God. They're fully God. But God sends God to give us God. <laughs> People don't get God by saying, I'm going to be righteous, or I'm going to be wise, or I'm going to figure it out, and you know, I can figure this out, and I'll get to God. No way. There's no way. We're too, we're too wretched. We're too lost. We're too small. We're too nothing. How can, how can a flea reach up and like grasp the world? How, how, how can a virus say, I'm going to go up there and comprehend, you know, like, I'll get a PhD in, in chemical engineering, and that's not even close. You can't reach up and grasp God. God has to show himself to us. He must come down and give himself to us. And you know who he sent? He sent God to give himself to us in the person of Jesus. And then you know who helps us get Jesus? The Spirit. We're so dumb, we can't even get Jesus. God sent Jesus so he comes, 
And then we don't get him. So then he gives us the spirit to help us get him. And then through Jesus, we are taken to the Father. Now, let me give you one more basic thing before I get more into that, that passage about how do you know even a person except through, the, you can't even know the thoughts of a person except through the spirit of that person. One more important piece of doctrine. In John chapter 1, it says that the word was with God and the word was God. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And then you get to John chapter 1, verse 14. And this really glorious verse. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He tabernacled among us. He came to live with us forever. And we have seen his glory and glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The word which was with God and was God who came into the flesh that has became human to come dwell with us so we can have glory and truth, that's Jesus. Jesus is the word. So in one sense, when you go to a church, you have to have the word. That's the Bible. But the Bible gives you the word, the spokenness of God. That's Jesus who came into the flesh. There is no salvation apart from Jesus, the word. But this is where it gets really interesting. This 1 Corinthians chapter 2, you think, okay, if I can just grasp the word, then I'll just get it, right? Somehow there's something so dark and messed up in us. And let me give you a tip. It's usually pride. You, don't think, you think you're smarter. You think you don't need it. And, the, and we need God himself in the person of the Holy Spirit to break down our need for a Savior, for a word from God. And so that's why it's this offense. Jesus is the God crucified. Man, do we really got to have a God crucified? It's only when you see that you need a God crucified, then the Holy Spirit has worked on you. That word, word and spirit. Okay, that was a big mouthful. Let's go to verse 11. Back to verse 11. It says there, for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? And some people think, okay, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you know, how do I even know? No, if I even have the Holy Spirit, maybe I don't have the Holy Spirit, right? That you can't get a person. You can't get God. That seems somehow kind of like exclusivistic. It even says there's a secret hidden wisdom apart from the Holy Spirit. You can't get it. And so it's like, is Christianity some kind of weird little secret club? And if you don't have the Holy Spirit, how do I even know if I have the Holy Spirit? I'm outside the club. I can't know God. It's not like that. And so I want to I help you understand this verse 11. Who knows a person's thought except the spirit of that person? Um, I think one way I could help you is that there, there's a, I want to offer you a, a little Japanese uh, vocabulary here. Um, I read a book a number of years ago about these baseball players that go to Japan, and then they get really confused because Japanese culture is so strange to them. I mean, I don't know if you guys know that. American ball players go play ball in Japan. And when they're there, they learn about something that's important in Japanese culture, and they have, they have a word for this, which is that when you meet a person, let me ask you something. You meet a person, and they say stuff to you. Do you really know them? Let me ask you. This has nothing to do with, you don't even have to be Japanese to understand this. You meet a person. They talk, blah, 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 blah. Do you really know them? Hmm? Do you really know them? That's an interesting question, right? The Japanese know that it's such an honor and shame-oriented culture that if you go out there and say and do something that other people think is shameful and wrong, they'll condemn you. <laughs> so what people do in Japan is hide their real heart all the time. They hide their real heart and their real personality and their real mind and their real opinions and their real feelings. They hide it so that on the outside they do the right thing. <laughs> and then that they call that tatame. They call that tatame. They offer you tatame, but inside they don't give you the real heart, which they call hone. I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm completely butchering that vocabulary, right? That, that words. But there's hone, what's there inside, real person, and what they show you on the outside, tatame. Well, let me show you my honorable self, but inside I'm, I'm angry, or I think this is completely nonsense, right? That's my hone, that's what I really feel. 
On the outside, tatame. So one of the problems that we have in our society is that when we go meet people and they say they know God, that we're like, how do you know? How do you really, really know? Maybe he's a liar. Maybe they're just trying to manipulate you and get money and power over you. So we're all worried. And so you hear in our culture that people are looking for authenticity. They mean authenticity about how you, do you really know God? And two, they just want your authentic real self. And you know how you get a person's authentic real self? This is really interesting. Through their spirit and through their words. That's how you get a person's real self. Um, if you're around a person only once and you hear their words, you're, you're like, hmm, I think this person is a good person. They said good words. <laughs> they must be a good person. But did you get their spirit? Oh, that's interesting. Did you really catch their real spirit? Maybe they just gave you a bunch of tatame, kind of their, their facade self. But they didn't give you their hone, their real self. So you get their words, but you're not sure you really got their spirit. And if you, did, if you got their words, but you didn't get their spirit, you didn't really get the person, right? Isn't that true? That's just real. Huh. That's just real with any personal relationship. Now, what if they give you a bunch of feelings? <laughs> they pour out, like, they, you know, they cry, and they, like, you know, they give you this, like, but, but they, they offer you, a, like, this bunch of, like, good, positive feelings, and so you think you get their spirit. Oh, they must be a really kind and loving person. And, um, but you barely heard them ever talk, and so you don't know what they say, what the words that are in their mind and their heart, and, you don't, and it doesn't come out. Did you really know them? This is interesting. So you think you got something of their feeling and of their spirit, but you never really, you, don't, you haven't been around them long enough to know what they say and what they really think. How do you know what a person really thinks? Because they say it. How do you know what's in their heart? Let me give you a tip. Some of you are like, I don't know how to read people. I'm not the best at reading people, right? But um, the Bible taught me how to do it. Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, out of the overflow, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you're just around a person long enough, guess what? You will start to know what's coming out of their heart because it'll come out of their mouth. So that's why if you're around people and they're, F this, guess what? They have an angry spirit. That's why people with filthy mouth, guess what? They have a filthy heart. If the stuff that comes out of their mouth is prideful, then their heart is prideful. It's also why, by the way, I also believe that you should show your love through your mouth, through words of encouragement. I, I, was, I was just so, so not good at that as a younger man, right? But, and I'm, I'm still not sure if I'm any good at that, but I try, I try. I try to really say real words of, of encouragement to you. Why? And I always try to mean it. So that the word that you hear come out of my mouth, you know comes from my heart, and so you get my word and my spirit. <laughs> and then you get the words and my spirit, then you really know me. No tatame, only my, you're getting my full honey. You're getting me. So I'm not, I'm not saying I do. I, I, I operate this way. Most of you guys who have, you know, you've been in the church, and so you know me as your pastor, I hope you know that I try to be a very transparent person, right? Some people think maybe a foolishly transparent person. But I tend to think, you know, if I put myself out there and you hurt me, so be it. I'd rather do the foolishness of God transparency so that hopefully if I really love you, you will feel that I really love you. You'll feel it and hear it, word and spirit. Don't you want that with everybody? Don't you want that with people you really, you really want to know somebody and love them, and you really want to know that they love you? So verse 11, there's nothing weird about that. If you want to know God, you must have his word, and you must have his spirit to really get the word. 
And so some people read the word and go, oh, you know, they're like, that, that's okay. You know, that's, they think they can cherry pick the Bible and then like, okay, that's, that was just put in there because, you know, some ancient priests just want to, uh, you know, manipulate us and now the modern guy wants to manipulate us. But this other part, okay, so that's, they, have to, they don't get the spirit at all. So a couple of practical things. If you go to a church and they do not revere the whole word, and, you know, the more words there are, the easier it is to pick up the spirit of the person. Don't you get it? Be around the person. Let them talk and talk. Some people don't talk. My wife is not a very talkative person. Okay, so you have to pick up her spirit. But you just got to be around her long enough, and then she'll say more and more things. You'll find, she says, mostly really good things. And you're like, oh, that's... She, that's, what's in, that's what comes out of the overflow. I say much more nonsense things and sometimes angry things. I'm more like that. I'm a much more punchy and sarcastic person. And you know, there's a little more darkness in my heart, maybe a lot more darkness in my heart. Right? And it comes out of my mouth regularly. But it's not hard to perceive. You're just around the person, and the words come forward, and their spirit comes forward, and you, then you have them. And you're like, I really know this person. That's how it is with God. That's how it is with God. Why? Because he's a person. <laughs> you want to know God? Hear all his words, including the ones you may not like. And then start to pick up. It's, it's interesting. There's a circularity to it. The words, the more and more the words you understand and know, will help you pick up the right spirit. And if you then, when you have the right spirit, will help you understand the words. That's why people who don't, who've never read the Bible, they, they're, they're, they, they, they're going to like, they're, you're, you're ripe to be manipulated by some lying preacher. Because you know so few of the words of God, you can't pick up that he has a wicked spirit. That he just, he's not actually conveying the Holy Spirit when he preaches. Instead, he's tricking you. He's, he's doing something to you. So you can't pick up that bad, evil spirit because you don't have enough of the words. And then, since, and then it goes the other way around. If you grow up in a church where the word is really sound and the spirit of the church, and I love that our sister Christy prayed for the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That should be evident in the church because people really know God. It, the fruit of knowing God starts to impact their person. They become less prideful, less selfish, less angry, less bitter, less greedy, and instead, more love, more joy. I, I often just look at it simply. I go to the church, I want to see truth, I want to see humility, I want to see love. And when the church has truth and humility and love, the humility and love, that's the spirit. The truth, that's the word. You see, when I see both those things together, and it's all toward Jesus Christ crucified, now you're in a real church. But if I go to a church and they talk about Jesus crucified and the people are total jerkwads, I'm like, eh, maybe word, but not much spirit. And then sometimes you go to churches and they're all like super emotional, like, oh, Jesus. And then like, then you listen to the preaching and you're like, the theology is whacked. What the heck is that? <laughs> That's like a spirit, but not word. <laughs> and you start to wonder, do they really know real God? Do they really know the real God? The way he says? <laughs> okay, let's go to part two. I'm already starting to get into it. Part two, I want to talk about four errors. Part two is word and spirit, Christ and the Holy Spirit. The word that became flesh, that's how we're saved. How will you really have deep love and, and awe of the word that was given to us so that we can know the true God. Well, because the Holy Spirit will, will grip your mind and heart. And then the Holy Spirit will take all that is in Christ and start to spill it out to you. The Holy Spirit makes us holy like Jesus. <laughs> you want to know the Holy Spirit's big, big agenda? That's it. Not that he is exalted, but that Christ is exalted. And then when Christ is exalted in our mind and our heart, and then we begin to follow him, obey him, repent toward him, and let his atoning blood wash us. Then the spirit renews us and makes us more holy like him. 
That should be happening inside the church. A real gospel church, I think, if you can go, they're just right. They have the right doctrine. Okay, that's a good start. Nobody ever changes in that church. I will not go to that church. I've been church like that. So let's go to the four characteristic errors, and let me just try to punch through them briefly. And it's not hard. It's word without spirit, spirit without word, Christ without the spirit, the spirit without Christ. Those are the four errors. Word without the spirit, the spirit without the word, Christ without the spirit, the spirit without Christ. Okay? Let me just chop through them. First one, word without the spirit. Churches like this tend to be very doctrine and theology oriented, and they're very, very prideful that they know the Bible, and you don't. <laughs> and you know what? They're often right about the Bible, but they're very prideful about it, and they're uppity about it, and they look down upon you, and they're constantly thinking, if you don't have enough right theology and Bible knowledge in you, they're like the Bible know it alls. <laughs> but do they have the Spirit? Do they have joy? Sometimes they go to these churches and they have really good theology, but their worship is just like they pray like they pray like this, and then and then everybody kind of perks up when the preacher goes, and then people like that he's right. They like that he's a smart guy. Often churches like this have a pastor that's a smart guy that's deeply well educated and supposedly has a lot of good theology. They like that. He often wears he often wears good respectable clothes, and the people wear good respectable clothes. But where's the joy? Where's the love? And when I see churches like that, and let me just be blunt about this, there are too many churches in this tradition. I'm talking about the Reformed tradition. The Reformed people are really good at knowing the Bible. But I think there are a lot of churches in our tribe, the Reformed, the Presbyterian tribe, that fall into word without spirit. And there are lots of churches, I will quite frankly say, in my nomination I've gone to, and I'm like, man, I don't want to go here. <laughs> they have the right truth. But where is the fruit of the Holy Spirit that our sister prayed for? Love, joy, peace. If you really know Jesus, you don't go around just saying, I'm right, you're wrong. <laughs> what you feel is like, I can't believe I know Jesus. I can't believe I know Jesus because I would never have made it unless God humbled me to know I deeply, deeply need how wicked I am. I need his atoning grace. Hmm? Word without spirit. Spirit without word. Okay, you've, you've probably heard about churches like this. Um, the, the churches that tend to be like this tend to fall into the charismatic or Pentecostal camp, and they love experience. <laughs> Sometimes I like to say it's, uh, it's almost... Another way I would like to describe these churches is they like spiritual experience without the gospel, <laughs> right? Spiritual experience with really thin theology. <laughs> and so you get a guy with a, a good golden tongue. He gets up there, and he's, he's got really all the right emotions, and he riffs off one or two verses, and you're like, man, does this guy have any real theology? And then he's super emotive. And then they love emphasizing miraculous gifts. And so we go to the church, and what you want is an experience. I just, I, man, I'm just feeling, feeling so lost and so low in the world. And we do. We all do. Huh. And you go to the church, and then, like, maybe somebody gets tongues or some, some miraculous things. There's, there's healing and, like, just power, miraculous supernatural power. So we've had an experience. You know, there can be miracles without God. Huh. There can be real miracles. Not done from Jesus. And you can guess where that there is. The devil does miracles to pull you away from Jesus. That is not the real spirit. Now, let me just pause for a moment. I, I'm, I'm not generally a person that likes to go around overly criticizing other churches. Right? Um, I know lots of good Pentecostal preachers and charismatic churches that I think are fantastic churches. Right, and um, a lot of them write some of the coolest songs, and we sing their songs. So I, you know, and I think great. The reform people aren't going to write cool songs, so yeah, I'll be happy to sing the charismatic people's songs because 
dude takes us to Christ and their music is cooler because they love to emote and like rich and raise our hands. And, oh, I'm going to cry for Jesus. And, hey, I, and over the years, I was a more buttoned up guy, but I hope you guys are saying, I, you know, I'm not afraid because I, I want to have the word, his word in me and his spirit pour out of me. I hope you do too. But sometimes churches that are all into, I got to have a supernatural experience and oh, I'm, just, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it, man. And you can just feel the Holy Spirit come down. And you're like, how do you know? It was the Holy Spirit. Did they preach the gospel? When I go to the church and they preach the gospel and Jesus is exalted and the people, they get really excited. And then especially if the words say, Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God, crucified for us. And our salvation is holy by grace, and though we could never have earned it. That's the gospel. And then people go, oh. Now you're in a real church. You're in the real. That's a spirit-filled place. The real Holy Spirit taking you to the real Christ. But if it's all just about mostly about experiences, and the Jesus there is not about the crucified Jesus. He's like the Jesus going to give you a better life. Going to help you make you healthier and wealthier and prettier and like give you a successful life, that is not the crucified Christ. It's a different spirit. Okay? Word without spirit? Spirit without the true sound word. Okay, let's, let me, you're like Christ without the spirit. Remember, Christ is the word incarnate. So let me say this a little bit differently. Some people will proclaim Christ but the Christ that they proclaim is, is understood through a wrong spirit. Isn't that interesting? So not the spirit who gave you the whole Bible. You understand where this book comes from? Through the, from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit moved those who wrote the book to write down the right things to ultimately take us to Jesus. So there's never going to be some weird contradiction from the Bible to the work that the Holy Spirit is trying to do, because the Spirit is never confused. So if you go to a church, and then they begin to tell you about Christ, you need to know Jesus, but it's not the Jesus you're like, wait a second, I've read big chunks of the Bible, and I know the core theology of the Bible. That is not the Jesus that the Bible emphasizes. Now you're talking about a Christ without the Spirit. I like, so that would be like, um, I think what the, those churches are doing is they're saying, we need to know Jesus. And then what they did was they kind of created a Jesus of their own making. It's a graven image idol, and then they called him Jesus. It's very common in our, the, the, the most common ones in our, um, in our, in our, in, in our uh, culture are the cheap grace churches. Jesus, your best friend, and he forgives you of your sin, and it's okay. And then, and then there's like no emphasis on repentance. Like being suspicious that money or sex or power can control you. And like you can't, you have to repent of those things and fight those things inside your heart. They never talk about those things. It's just you're forgiven. And then Jesus would just be your best buddy. Like Jesus is not a Lord that expects you to obey him and follow him and be conformed to his will. Instead, Jesus is just like, like, like some, some um, you know, needy girlfriend that you can kick around. <laughs> like he's a doormat. He'll always just, he'll be your friend. You guys ever have a friend like that? Like you have a friend group, and then there was like that weakest person in the group that just needed a friend. <laughs> they were so insecure. They'll always be your friend, and you can always just push them around. There's some people who preach that Jesus because we want, we want to be able to use Jesus. Some of us, we just want, oh, just, just forgive me and just give me a little something to get through this little bad spirit part of my life. Jesus will be my friend. That's a popular preaching. The cheap Jesus, but that's not the real Jesus. And the other version is, and I've already alluded to, is the, 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 the prosperity theology people. Jesus will give you your best life. Your best life now. It's actually a best-selling book, right? That's not the right spirit. It's certainly not the right words. So they cherry pick, they'll, they'll, they'll like cherry pick, you know, like some verse totally taken out of context and not give you the Jesus Christ crucified. Because only through his crucifixion and his resurrection are we redeemed and have the real God 
the real Jesus. So that's like, I like to call that the, the Stepford Jesus. You guys watch this movie? Uh, maybe it's not a good uh, illustration. The Stepford Wives, this movie of the Stepford Wives, where you go to this weird town, and, and, um, and then all the women in their town are super gorgeous, and they like, are pretty, and they're all skinny, and they only say this to their husbands, whatever you want, honey, <laughs> whatever you want. And so they're not real women. Really what they are is they're fake robots that like, are like ventriloquists. And the prosperity theology, guys, in America, we, I, we are idolaters of success and money and health and prosperity. And then some people say, they go, well, Jesus, well, there's a Jesus. And then they use Jesus. And then out of that Jesus, he goes, he will be your best friend to give you success and health and like all the things that we really, really want more than God. So then they make Jesus the mouthpiece for that, and then their churches fill up, and then they say, if you really want, if you really want to be blessed by God, what you should do is give him $100 today, and he'll give you $1,000 tomorrow. Run away. <laughs> you go to that church, it's Christ without the real Holy Spirit, like the wrong spirit. Please, please, run away. Okay? And the last one is spirit without Christ. And again, we're, we're kind of back to certain kinds of charismatic churches, but I want to make a, part, a, a slightly different critique. The spirit without Christ, again, they want, I mean, I, I don't, I, there's some people go to churches because they really want a miracle. I understand. My brother's a drug addict. We need power. We need power from God, a miracle, right? Um, you know, my, 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 my mom has cancer. We need power from God. We need a miracle, and they want a supernatural experience. I have um, great sympathies for that. But you know, God could say yes. He also could say no. You can't control God. They think you could just pray down the miracle. You can't pray down a miracle because <laughs> God is a king. <laughs> a king can do what he wants, and a king is wiser than us. <laughs> That's a real Jesus. <laughs> but he's also incredibly compassionate. Sometimes he does miracles. But Sometimes, when you go to these churches, and when they say they have a spirit without Christ, what sometimes happens in the churches, some of these churches, is the person up front seems to have a lot of, like, spiritual power and claims that spiritual power. And maybe they do certain things, and actual miracles happen up front, and the people get super-duper excited about it, and they, and they encourage you, and they're like, I know how to give this to you. And the person up front, the leader, starts becoming a guru, and he starts saying things that are like not in the Bible or extra biblical or even contradictory to the Bible. But hey, hey, I have the in. I'm filled with the spirit. You should trust me. That is a church that's become, going to become a cult. Because Jesus is not king of that church. Again, they, have, they may have a spirit. I don't know if it's the real Holy Spirit, but they don't have Christ because Christ is not the one being exalted in that church. It's a manipulative leader, and people are like, oh, he's the, he's the special anointed one. Let me tell you, there's one anointed one. The anointed one is the Messiah, because Messiah means the anointed one. That's Jesus, okay? So please, be afraid. If you go into a church, and everybody thinks the pastor is like the greatest thing, and then they just trust his word, and they don't test it over against the word. And he has a lot of spiritual power. There's a lot of spiritual power. I don't know. Maybe I'm a little overly skeptical of this. Sometimes when I meet a person and they seem to just wield a kind of like power, I just go, whoa. And everybody's super impressed with it. I'm like, whoa. Uh, Paul had spiritual power and everybody hated him. And some of the most godliest people I've ever met, nobody thinks that they're great because they can't even recognize deep holiness when they actually see it because deep holiness is truly filled with humility and love and patience. Occasionally you meet a person that is really deep in that way. And then, and then I go, wow, this person is truly holy, like Pastor Min Chung, which is why we <laughs> invited him to you know, be our speaker. When you meet him, the man is utterly no ego. And it's unbelievable joy. And he's filled with love, joy, peace. And he's always giving you love, joy, peace, and patience, and kindness. And, I, you know, I was really interested. I heard, I heard him preach a number of times. And then I was really interested in hanging out with Pastor Min because I wanted, like, well, let's see if his spirit, like, matches the way he preaches, right? And I hung out with him at, at our house. And I was like, dude, this dude is completely real. <laughs> no tatame. 
the honey of Jesus is his real self. I, 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 I wish I could be that holy, <laughs> right? You need a leader like that. You just meet any person like that, even if they're not the leader. Now you're getting into a person who really knows the real God, who's the spirit of, they, they love Jesus and the Holy Spirit has brought out fruit in their heart. That's what the church should be doing. If you want to know what the product of a church is, it's people who deeply follow and obey Jesus and this fruit of the Holy Spirit is evident in their life. That's the product of the church. That's the real product of a real church from a real God, because that's what he wants. And when people meet the real Jesus, that's what starts to happen. You're like, I really suck. I'm nothing like that. Are you on your way? <laughs> Some people walk in the church, they're drug addicts, they're angry, they're literally demon-filled. <laughs> a year later, they're starting to change. Two years later, they're starting to change. Ten years later, you're like, what the heck? I can't believe you were demon-filled. Who are you? <laughs> Let's close this way. Real salvation. You are united through Jesus. Who is the bond of your union with Jesus? It's the Holy Spirit. First, the Holy Spirit takes you to Jesus, the crucified Christ, who lived the life we should have lived, who died the death we deserve to die, and then he was risen to a life which could never die. That life is a human life. You understand, Jesus is not just a risen God. He's a risen human being. He's a, he has a human nature, the divine human nature. It's a human life that is fully in the image of God that can never die. That's what Jesus did for us. And if you trust in Jesus, he says, my life, my fully human life, my fully human life made in the image of God, the divine human life I give to you. By grace. That's what Jesus gives us. All that wickedness that's in you, I'll wash it away. And if you keep grasping after it, I will like help you and I will like, well, I'll help you. Sometimes you won't like it, but I'll help you because I'm loving you. Once you belong to me, I'll never stop loving you. And once you belong to me, I'll never stop but give you this life that I have, this beautifully human life in the image of God, the resurrection life. But they're like, I believe in Jesus, but I don't know how to follow him. You know who helps you follow him? The Holy Spirit. So Jesus isn't like physically present with us, but you know what he did? He sent us his spirit. And his spirit is the Holy Spirit. It's actually the other person of the God. The spirit, like C.S. Lewis, there's a great, great place in mere Christianity. There's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the life between them is actually so alive as a third person. The Holy Spirit is the very life of God. And he's a person. And if you have given your life to Jesus, he's with you. You know what he's always doing? He's always taking you to Jesus. Jesus, you're like, oh, first he took you to Jesus. And you're like, well, did he do that at the beginning? No, he's always doing it. He's always doing it. Sometimes you don't like the way he's doing it. You go into a place where you're very greedy. It's going to be money, money, money for the next couple years. <laughs> and then, strangely, you know, all your deals fail. <laughs> the stock market crashes. And then as soon as you sell, then it goes back up. And you're like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> right? And the Holy Spirit is helping you. <laughs> because for you you, you, you do believe in Jesus. But right now, you've fallen off the horse. And you want to love money more. He's loving you. And then... Then you get broken down, and you walk in, and you're thinking, I'm so far from Jesus. And how could he possibly ever love me? And how could I ever live my life right? Because I am just too bad of a person. And you come into the church, and Jesus lifted up his atoning sacrifice, all his full self-sufficiency, and you're like, could he possibly love me? Could this be true? that he could be more than enough for me. And you know, that's the Holy Spirit working on you. The power. Not because the guy up front is any smart. Heck, half the time we're idiots. Because the Holy Spirit is humbling you 
And Christ is being exalted in your mind and your heart. And he is becoming your full treasure and your life and your Lord and your king. And as he is starting to come into your life, you're starting to get his life. You're starting to get God. Word and spirit, brothers and sisters. And so I hope this will help you. Um, Some of you college students, I'm sad that you're going to go off to school soon. (laughs) But um, I hope this will be a very, very helpful message to you when you go look at churches. Word and spirit. When you assess preachers and leaders, anybody who says they're Christian, word and spirit. Let's go to the table of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we're so lost in our own pride and always getting addicted to one idol or another and wanting to bow down to some other good. Sometimes it's money. Sometimes it's sex. Sometimes it's success. They're often even good things, family, beauty. If only this thing would just be right. But, and then there are even churches. <laughs> that are promising you a great family and more money and that Jesus will be, you know, your homeboy that will help you. He'll be your great consultant. And, and, you know, if you have Jesus, your consultant, he'll just fix everything for you. And so many of us, we, we long for something obviously supernatural, but your word explicitly says people who seek signs but don't seek God. There's something wicked there. Even more than miracles, what we need is you. The deepest miracle is that we would have you. We would have your love. We would have your mercy. We would have your steadfast presence. And you have already given that to us through Jesus and indwelling in us through the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father. As we go to your table now, may we have great gladness to receive Christ And by your spirit, we would eat of the life that we have been given, the life of Christ that we've been given by grace. Give all my brothers and sisters deep wisdom. And if there's anybody who's heard this message who does not know you, Lord, I pray that this would help them to begin to discern how they can encounter the true God, the true and living God, through the true word, the gospel, And the true spirit, love, joy, peace, which flows out of the gospel and takes us to the gospel. We thank you for all your great wisdom, and we bow down to it and know to follow you all our days in Jesus' name. Amen.